Hello again, my friends from everywhere in the world. We are here again for the STR virtual symposia. Uh, this is our final symposia session. We have one more, and that is a debate. Debate on June 24th. Uh, this Barney and Tease versus Buckley and Verbicki. We're going to be focusing on whether we need an, a new theory on an international firm. And then uh, back uh, it, during the summer before we transition to the Academy um, conference, we have a Stronger Together Meet a Theory session, and that will be on July 6th, uh, focusing on transaction cost economics. So do check out um, these further uh, events. If you're not able to join us live, uh, feel free to uh, take a look at uh, the video uh, that we will record and post uh, on our YouTube channel. Um, and later in uh, the chat, I will be giving you our STR division website so you can continue to follow us and to uh, see all the updates that we have. So to get to together, to together, stronger together, this time we will um, give you a full um, panel uh, talking about the theory of the firm on competitive advantage in ecosystems. So Cameron Miller and Elena uh, Pikelin-Skoba have been in charge. So Elena, why don't you tell us what you have for us today? Perfect, Th again, so thank you so much, uh, Gwen and Heather. Oh, um, Cameron and I, we are very happy to bring you here this virtual, symposi uh, virtual symposium and uh, thank you all for coming here. We, we both are very excited because we have an absolutely fantastic lineup of panelists. We have Olivier Chatan from HEC Paris, Rahul Kapoor from Wharton, Marvin Lieberman from UCLA, PK Taw from UT Austin and Brian Wu from Michigan. So we are very happy that they agreed to come uh, and be speakers at our panel. And some of the, they are all in different time zones. So uh, we, are very, we are very glad and thank you so much. Now, why did we want uh, uh, to do this symposium? Well, that's because our ecosystem has become uh, very prominent in the strategy research in the past years. So, here we put the definition of ecosystem. We actually took it from uh, Rahul Kapoor. So Rahul, please feel free to correct us afterwards when you present. But generally when we talk about ecosystem, we are talking about a set of actors who are needed to be able to create value with the focal proposition. And uh, you could see that even though there have been a few papers talking about ecosystem and related concepts like complements and platforms uh, earlier, they, this really took off in the second decade of the 21st century. And therefore, Cameron and I thought that this could be a good time to kind of see how this new framework can relate to the strategy questions. Yeah, and so we're gonna, in this uh, session, we're gonna touch upon a lot of these classic questions. So you know, what's the relationship between value creation and value appropriation and different competitive structures? You know, who generates externalities, who captures them, who's bears a brunt of them if they're negative, what influences scale and scope. But I think what you're gonna see is that when we, we look at it in the ecosystem or platform setting, that's more than just a setting, that the mechanisms may be more or less prominent, they may differ. We're gonna look at, we're gonna see this could be different trade-offs and that hopefully you come away with the idea that we really need an original theory here to explain what's happening. And we have a great group of panelists with a vibrant program, research program to do just that. So for the agenda, what we're going to do is start out with Rahul, 
uh, followed by the rest of the panelists. We're going to have a hopefully a robust Q&A session. We're going to take about a five minute break and then we'll have about a 30 minute uh, breakout session where everybody can uh, be in smaller groups with one of the panelists. Uh, we ask you that if you have questions, please put them in the chat. We'll, we're going to try to uh, uh, you know, moderate that and get everybody's questions answered. With that, we're going to turn it over to Rahul to get started. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cameron, Elena, and thanks for bringing all of us together uh, in, this, in this workshop. And uh, I see many familiar faces and names, many friends and colleagues uh, in the session. So it's a great opportunity for me to share some thoughts on a topic that I've uh, been dabbling with for quite some time, uh, but also get your reactions uh, to a very early stage work uh, that Shiva and I, Shiva Agarwal and I have been I've been working on last uh, last year or so. So let me share my screen with you. And I was giving marching orders for about 10 minutes and hopefully I wouldn't derail the agenda too much being the first speaker of the workshop. So let me, let me if the screen is not being shared, somebody would let me know, but I'll, I'll keep going. Um, so, so this is a paper tentatively titled Network of Complementarities in Ecosystems. And as you can tell, we're engaging with the phenomenon of ecosystems and really blending a network site of, of ecosystems with complementarities aspect of ecosystems. Um, just to give you a, a bit of a background about this work, uh, so Shiva uh, and I have been collaborating now for a number of years and uh, two of the chapters of her dissertation. Uh, I'm very pleased, you know, this is an important milestone for an advisor to see the dissertation getting published. So they're both now published. Uh, and both of these papers uh, take uh, a perspective on ecosystem that blends what I call the engineering side of ecosystems. I used to be an engineer uh, in my previous life uh, and the economic side of ecosystems. And what I mean by them is think about these as uh, modular systems, you know, with, with connections, and of course, creating complementarities uh, across different actors uh, within, the, within the setup. And uh, so, so the first paper uh, here that's forthcoming, actually it's, it's, it's ordered the other way around. I should talk about the second paper, which, is, um, which takes that systems perspective uh, uh, from, from a vantage point of a focal innovator and, um, and looks at how the overall structure of the ecosystems in terms of complexity uh, affects the performance of those actors and then imposes this evolutionary theme around it, which is any architectural changes in an ecosystem, for example, a platform update, for example, um, could affect those performance dynamics. And the paper number one, which is you know, recently accepted, uh, moves from a system level uh, sensibility to an actor level sensibility and looks at at the actor level, what are the types of linkages that an actor connects with an ecosystem and what are the implications for the performance. And here we shed light on this trade-off in terms of while an actor is leveraging complementarities, uh, there are also these interdependencies uh, that these ecosystems entail and what are the cost, uh, and that could offset the benefits of complementarities as well. And so the paper I'm sharing with you is, is part of its research agenda that Shiva and I have been on, uh, blending in these aspects of modularity of connections 
and recognizing uh, these interactions in terms of complementarities. And uh, what we are trying to do is to sort of uh, take the structural uh, aspect of ecosystems and, and thinking about what kind of structural configurations that one could observe uh, within an ecosystem and uh, what are the implications for, for firm performance. Uh, and this is an illustration. We are, we are clearly thinking in terms of networks here. That's something that we have not done in the in, in our previous work and, and trying to recognize uh, a way to conceptualize network level configurations at the ecosystem level and what are the implications for an innovator's performance. So I'll give you a, a very a short overview of, of, of the paper and the idea. Um, and, and we're focusing on two uh, network-based constructs. So really drawing on graph theory as a way to make sense of these linkages between uh, different components or complements as we call it in the context of an ecosystem and what are the implications for performance. And we're thinking about two types of, of network configurations. Uh, you can see these connections that a focal innovation have. Uh, they could be organized across multiple clusters as we know that's an important feature of a network, but also in terms of centrality or think about the location specific in a network context. And so, so the starting point for the structural level exposition uh, in an ecosystem, we are thinking about looking at the centrality of complements that an innovation connects with and the diversity of clusters uh, that those connections might entail as well as two distinct constructs. The, the, the initial idea is fairly straightforward in, in our view, uh, which is to think about each cluster as a set of functionality uh, that a focal innovation connects with, right? So in the case of an iPhone ecosystem, which is the context uh, that we'll do the empirical analysis and um, you can think about a cluster of all the storage apps like Dropbox, Box, Google Drive uh, as, as one cluster. And then you can move to maybe another cluster, which could be something around information sources or data sources. And what is nice about graph theory, and I'll get to how we, how we get to it in our data, that each clusters recognize a unique bundle of complements that and a focal innovation connects with. And, and the general idea here is the more clusters you're able to connect, right? The broader the area of complementarities that you can leverage, and that should facilitate the commercialization success. And then we talk about the second aspect of the structure, which is the more prominent one within our field, the notion of centrality. And here we say something which is you know, somewhat counterintuitive, uh, while the baseline uh, uh, theory within the network literature is that centrality grants status, grants information advantages, in the, in the context of ecosystems and the way we think about these structures of complements, uh, centrality becomes much more of a general purpose complement where every focal innovation is connecting with. But if you're connecting with the, with the peripheral complements uh, that not many other innovations are connecting with, that, that grants you some uniqueness, some exclusivity in terms of complementary relationships. And so the general idea is, you know, while the central connections could be essential to participate in ecosystems, it's the peripheral connections that are more likely to be generating a source of competitive advantage or uniqueness, and that should have an effect on performance as well. 
Um, and then we've been thinking about in the last couple of months, the role of competition, right? So we are marrying ideas of value creation with value capture in, in, in an ecosystem context and, and generally theorizing that competent competition would extend or exacerbate uh, these, these uh, relationships. If you're connecting with diverse clusters in a more competitive environment, that should uh, accord you a higher advantage. But if you're connected to mostly central complements uh, in a very competitive environment that everybody is connecting to as well, that doesn't quite grant you any unique source of competitive advantage. So the discounting effect actually uh, gets exacerbated. And then Shiva has been absolutely amazing. I know she's on this uh, on this session as well. Um, that uh, Shiva has put together essentially uh, a master library of all of the APIs that underlie the connectivity that takes place in an iPhone ecosystem. We're talking about different apps connecting with different hardware components in the iPhone, but also a lot of software complements as well. And so APIs and SDKs are essentially the pipes in these digital ecosystems uh, that we have data on each one of those connections within the iPhone ecosystem over a period of 10 years or a million apps as well. Um, here is you know, just a general distribution of the different uh, actors who own these APIs and SDKs. And from our perspective, what was interesting is since this is an iPhone ecosystem, we expect Apple to have you know, the most number of connections and facilitate that ecosystem participation, but many others, right? And Google being, of course, a key competitor to Apple in, in many markets is the second most. And so, you know, this was more of a smell test to understand that the data that we're capturing seems to be consistent with our view of who are the key players contributing to these connectivities in these ecosystems and creating these complementary bundles. Uh, of course, it's a, it's a very skewed data set. And you see the others category, almost 4,000 SDKs, and they represent 13,000 or 13 million uh, different connections, right? So it's not just a story of four or five firms that's driving all these complementarities or value creation, there is a fairly long tail of many specialized actors who are contributing to this ecosystem value proposition. And so just an illustration of some of these network graphs um, that we actually created these graphs for our own sense making. Um, in terms of the measure, so we're using you know, fairly standard measure for centrality, but in terms of diversity, uh, we're using sort of a Herfindahl measure to get to it. And we're looking at each cluster as, as, as you know, each cluster as one market in the Herfindahl context or one actor in the Herfindahl context in a marketplace and essentially creating a dispersion measure and inverting the sign to ease interpretation. Uh, the results are consistent with our, our, our general thought process. Uh, we find that diversity of clusters certainly aids in commercialization and the, and the commercialization outcome we are observing is something that we've done in other papers as well, uh, that if you are an app that makes it to the top 500 in terms of revenues, uh, again, it's a very high bar, as you know, in terms of most apps, but the fact that we're seeing fairly significant effects uh, with that measure, you know, gives, gives um, um, us confidence about some of the inferences we can draw. So we do have a positive effect of diversity. Uh, we have this negative effect of centrality, and that's uh, an important network level consideration we want to bring to the table. And then the, the, the competition effect uh, essentially moderating uh, both the diversity uh, driver and the centrality driver. 
So I know my time is time is up. I'll just leave you with some initial thoughts and I very much look forward to your reactions. And I know I went through a fair bit quickly, but if you'd like to get more details, feel free to send me a note or Shiva a note. So what we're trying to do is to sort of really take this idea of ecosystems represent structures and complements, and don't just focus on one or the other, but to simultaneously uh, consider the interactions between the two. And then once we take structure seriously and we draw on the graph theory, we can actually highlight you know, the nature of complementarities coming from centrality of connections, but also coming from clusters and the diversity of clusters. And then the firm level implication is, you know, value creation here is not just about the number of complements, right? Typically we think about network effects as a count or a number story. Uh, we can actually start thinking through the structure of how these connections take place. Uh, we can think about the sort of the peripheral versus central dichotomy around structural configurations, but also cluster view of looking at the structure. And then competition. I think a lot of my work sort of is is shaped by value creation considerations. And this is one of the few papers where Shiva and I have started to bring value creation, value capture, and thinking about complementarities, but in a comparative context as well. So I look forward to your thoughts, uh, but thanks again for the opportunity and for, for letting me engage with you on this new paper. Thank you. And I'll hand it over to the next speaker. Thank you very much, Rahul. Uh, Olivier, I'll let you uh, take off. We're already getting interesting questions for you in the chat hole, so we can circle back at the very end here. Uh, Olivier, would you like to unmute, please? still hard to learn how Zoom works after all these hundreds of hours. Uh, so uh, glad to, to see everyone here. Uh, it's great to, to have you all around and I hope we can see in, uh, in real life uh, soon enough. Uh, today, uh, I wanted to, to collect my, my thoughts on a couple of papers I've been working on with, uh, with students and former students of mine. Uh, one is Elena, who's one of the organizers, and the other one is Madulika Cole, who's in the, who's in the audience. And I try to find uh, a unifying theme, I think, and I settled on one of, of, of externalities, uh, because it's a concept that's blurry enough, so you can include a lot of things in it, but also because it actually was uh, good for, for what we are doing here. Uh, so we'll briefly talk about the first paper that's with uh, Elena, uh, which to a large extent, actually, uh, it, it dovetails very well uh, with uh, Rahul's uh, talk, uh, because that paper is, is a formal model of, of value capture. And what we want to do is really ground that in uh, our understanding of value creation and what's happening between complements really, really matters. And we have these issues where we have actions that don't, don't really uh, line out for the, for the ecosystem. Uh, and so that creates some nice bad externalities, but also for, we, we, uh, that led us to think about what's happening to, to some of the actors. The second paper uh, is with uh, Madulika. And uh, here we're switching gears and we're really looking at what's happening outside of the ecosystem. And we're trying to conceptualize a kind of 
externalities that we tend not to really think about in management, but that uh, every day we, we can see if you open the news, uh, what, what's going on. And I think we have as, a, as scholars of, of ecosystem, we have responsibility to think about what kind of externalities we generate. So just to, to jump into it, uh, the first issue is that what we find in, in, in this model is that competition in the ecosystem can hurt the ecosystem. Uh, so typically, an ecosystem, uh, very consistent with Rahul's uh, presentation, you have a base and then you have a bunch of complementors and they create value for the buyer, right? Uh, but one thing that we find is that sometimes because of the competition between all these actors, except the buyers, uh, the ecosystem is could be under some conditions which underperforming. And if it underperforms, well, we, you know, we have these nice models, uh, but there's one player who usually doesn't do much as the buyer, but the buyer is not leaving off buying, you know, you don't, you cannot eat an iPhone. Okay. So if the iPhone doesn't work well, uh, or, or is not priced appropriately, that will affect your budget and there are other things in your life that matter. So what to help us start to think about, you know, the buyer is kind of the interface to other parts of the world, which we tend not to think about too much. Uh, but in this paper, that turned out to be important because if the ecosystem underperforms, the buyer will, will suffer. So, so that formal model is, is really about, our goal was to, to have a clean model of the causality between, on the left-hand side, capabilities of firms, how they combine the ecosystem to create value, and in the end, who captures what, and then have the, the looping back to, well, if this is what you expect to capture, what do you expect to, to, to invest? What, do you, what, what should be your, your decision? And this is a good model. And I think that speaks to, uh, of course, I'm biased. Uh, but that model uh, speaks to the, to the big question of the theory of the firm, or if I should say the theory of the ecosystem, which is that when is an ecosystem a good organizational form versus firms competing in the market, in the supply chain, or maybe maybe we should be integrating everything, okay? Uh, so just to give you some insight about you know, what's into under the hood, what we usually do is that we, we compare a decentralized ecosystem with competition for value among, you no, know, it's a dog eats dogs. Uh, and we compare that to an integrated benchmark, which is an ecosystem that's fully integrated and harmonious which we know is a fiction, uh, but that's a little bit the kind of comparative institutional uh, analysis that we, we see traditionally in TCA. So what we typically find, uh, and here is just fancy graphics for you to be uh, in awe at these, all these curves that cost us a few uh, brain cells, uh, is that if we compare the, the, the dotted line, which is what should happen if everyone was trying to do the best thing for the world and make that buyer as happy as possible, and we compare that to to what's going to happen because we, because as complementors, uh, I try to get value uh, from the orchestrator. The orchestrator is afraid that if it does something, all the value might be captured by, by some of the complementor. If the complementors are close to each other, we see that actually it's good for the orchestrator. So all these things, all these mechanisms that we, we feel matter, uh, in real life, in that model, we can really have a good analytical trail as to where it's coming from. And, and you see, if this is a situation where uh, you need, uh, there's a prototypical actually uh, ecosystem where, if, where bottlenecks, it's a bottleneck value creation, 
value creation is constrained by the weakest league. And we can see that there could be a lot of issues. This is the value trap. In some cases, actually, there's overshooting. Uh, but besides the, the specifics of, of, of which model, what we, what we found was important is that it kind of paves the way to a theory of the, not of the firm, but the ecosystem. So we need to have uh, a comparative analysis of the benefits of the firm versus other forms. And we need a fuller sentence, one that's completed here. Uh, and broad, more broadly, and this is something I would use to transition to the, to the next paper, is that we, we can see that ecosystem actually could get stuck and could be not that efficient, but that has an impact on those who depend on the ecosystem. So what are the stakes of the member? And some of the members are the buyers and should that matter to the, to the governance? Okay. Uh, which leads me to the, to the second paper uh, that's with uh, Madhulika Cole. And actually something I forgot to, to mention is that both papers, the, the names are alphabetical in the title. So which means that uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand what my colleagues are doing and help them put that into shape, but I'm just a passenger here. Uh, so the second point is that ecosystems are not isolated systems. They intersect with overlapping systems that are not necessarily economic. Uh, which is not totally new, uh, but that's something that's really coming to the fore with, with what's happening now. So, so look, this is our initial ecosystem, uh, but you can also see that the buyer has a double life as a citizen. And citizens, they are part of other systems that matter as much. You know, there's this thing called the public sphere where opinion gets formed. And you can compare that to the economic sphere. And some members of, the ecosystem, of an, an ecosystem can be parts of multiple of these, spheres, of these spheres. Being from business schools, we, we tend to, and in, especially in, in strategy departments, we tend to, to focus on the firm. And, we and it's very easy analytically to think of the firm as being mostly an economic actor. Of course, it can do bad things and we have to care about that. Uh, there are some, you know, you could be bad for the environment. We try to be responsible. Uh, but these are things that are not really new in terms of uh, what uh, the analytics is about. It's more about finding the right way to do it. However, something that's really important is the, how these firms now, and some of them, especially content sharing platform, could be affecting how we interact among each other as citizens. And that's what we want to analyze in, in this paper. And we look at how platforms, which is a kind of ecosystem, such as content sharing platforms, create externalities on, on the public sphere. And here on the, on the right hand side, you have the January 6 uh, riots, uh, which actually that, that paper was very, it's very problematic to, to write because you, you feel that reality is always catching up with your craziest, uh, like, oh, no, this should be happening, although it's too crazy, but that reality is, is catching up with it. So in that paper, what we set out is to do, uh, to create a theory of how, what platforms do for their business interests. And we frame that mostly as a convenient, as a convenient let's say, uh, 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 straw, straw man. Uh, we, 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 we pretend that they only care about the network effect, but then we can trace all the externalities that happen in the public sphere. And that creates trade-offs for platforms. And we could say that would apply to other ecosystems. And that will help us explicate a bit more 
what platforms do and what they don't do. We have to make a lot of choices and how this matter to, to political conditions. So, so what I want to, to highlight here is that it's not just an issue of, of, of non-market strategy. It's not about, oh, let's have a political strategy to mitigate uh, issues that we're creating. It, the issue here is that the platform by their business become a political actors in their operations, like literally, in a way that they did not even envision uh, in initially. Uh, and so that creates a lot of difficulties for managing th these externalities, and that hinges a lot on what's happening, for instance, in the public and the political sphere. So just to, to, to conclude th these thoughts, uh, the theme here is that ecosystems are not isolated systems. So we, I think it's a great progress that we think about ecosystems. Uh, it's still an analytical convenience. So maybe we need, a, and I'm sorry, I apologize to, to Rodener, uh, we need a wider, wide lens in, in some situations. Uh, they matter, this ecosystem, to their members as they act in other social systems. And there are some theoretical implications here. Uh, one is more about the, I mean, and there are both theory of the firm implication, if you will. Uh, the first one is that in cases where ecosystem may not be so good at harnessing competition and cooperation among their members, we have to ask ourselves a question, what are they good at? And we have to really seriously compare that to alternative forms, uh, if only to really understand what's what matters. Uh, and uh, relatedly, if ecosystem members are affected by, by these issues in non-economic venues, what does it mean for governance? Yeah, so because we have actors in one sphere, in the economic sphere, who do things that have fallouts in other spheres and not just the environment, also the way we, we, we live as a society. And the mediation mechanism, the feedback mechanism should be one from, from politics, uh, but it's not clear it's always working uh, perfectly. And, and I think that's something that as scholars we can, uh, we can, we can widen the lens a little more and, and start thinking of these issues because scholars in other disciplines who are interested in these issues, like in political science, in communication, they, the thing that is missing, they don't understand how these themes, how these firms are, are working. And that's something that we can add to the conversation. And I'm done now. Thank you very much. If PK, if you're still awake in uh, Singapore, uh, we'll let you uh, take it away. Okay, can you guys see my slides and hear me? All right, so good evening or good morning, depending on where you are. So first of all, thank you so much to the organizers for, for doing this, for organizing this. And I'm very excited to be here sharing some uh, recent thoughts on, on this issue. And also more importantly, to learn from all my uh, esteemed panelists, uh, a lot to learn here. Right, I'm gonna focus in on value appropriation issues. Uh, why is it, what new challenges are created in terms of the firm's ability to appropriate returns in ecosystem? And, and where is that coming from and how do we resolve that? Right, so I'm, uh, in this presentation, I'll mostly be drawing on work uh, co-authored with a few of my co-authors. One is Cameron Miller, one of the organizers, and also uh, two of my students from uh, UT Austin, Eugene and Sid. I'm gonna focus mostly on the, the a really early stage working paper that I have with Sid, the last, the, the, the person on the right here, right? 
So, uh, so one of the the starting point is this, right? So one of the salient features in ecosystem, as as uh, Rahul has already pointed out, is the complementarities, right? So essentially, one way to see that is that when a firm makes an investment in any part of the ecosystem, very often a lot of the returns, a lot of the value is created not in the area where the firm is making investments, but in complementary areas, right? For example, you can think of it in a platform-based ecosystem. When Apple, the platform owner, invests in the iOS uh, interface right, or the connecting interfaces, a lot of this value created uh, accrues to the complementers. Likewise, in non-platform-based ecosystems, uh, when the firms invest in coordination, in true standard setting, for example, a lot of uh, a paper with uh, Cameron and I recently uh, demonstrated actually a lot of the value is created elsewhere in the complementary areas. Right? Now, this per se is not distinct to ecosystem because the, the notion of complementarities is a very common one. It goes back to very traditional uh, forms of organization, for example, vertical value chain. In the vertical production system, there's huge complementarities as well. Very salient here, but that's not new. What is distinct to me, what is distinct here, is that along with these complementarities comes a lack of the usual buyer-supply contractual relationships. So in a vertical value chain, the, uh, the assembler, if you will, the platform owner, has the ability to use buyer-seller contracts to appropriate these returns from the buyers or the sellers. But here, think about the uh, either platform-based or, or non-platform-based ecosystem. Very often, the platform owner or the owner of the core parts of the ecosystem, they are not buyers or sellers with the complementers. So this, this contract is absent. This tool to appropriate returns is absent. So the question is, okay, so how do we appropriate returns? How does the platform owner think of it as the platform owner? How does a platform owner appropriate returns? Right, what are the solutions? I'm going to talk about two broad ideas. The, one, the first one I'm going to gloss through very quickly and focus, and then I'll focus on the second one. The first one is pretty uh, simple. Right? The broad idea is uh, that the platform owner integrates into the complementary areas to, in order to capture these returns that it otherwise has a hard time capturing. Right? So for example, so in the working paper with Cameron, we're trying to establish this basic point that in some instances, when the platform owner has difficulties uh, in, in capturing these returns that he created in the complementary areas, uh, that's one of the reasons why we are seeing these big platform owners actually integrating into the complementary uh, space. Right? So we, we don't need to stress too much on the examples. We're seeing it happening everywhere. Apple is integrating into the app space, the complementary app space. Amazon is integrating into third-party seller space and so on and so forth. The examples, uh, uh, the list goes on, right? So, and uh, in our recent uh, either working paper or published papers, we're showing we've shown that actually doing so, integration actually helps the platform owner firm captures returns from any investments they do to enhance coordination within the ecosystem, and it. And they seem to know this beforehand. So we, we see that very often before embarking on these investments, before uh, doing these investments uh, to, to enhance coordination with the ecosystems, we are seeing these firms coming in already integrated. Right? And in a working paper with another student, uh, we're showing that those who don't do so, once the coordination effort happens and the locus of value creation shifts, we actually see that the firms that are not integrated suffering from increased uncertainty. So that's the broad idea here. Right? The broad idea is that the firm will integrate, the platform firm will integrate in order to capture appropriate returns that it was it helped create elsewhere. 
So uh, let me talk a little bit about second mechanism here. Right, so second mechanism, this is very early stage. So the idea here is uh, how does the platform owner uses, use competition as a provision tool? When I say competition, I mean the competition between the participants within this platform. Right? So we start with basic question. In a platform-based ecosystem, let's zoom in. Right? Platform-based ecosystem, how do participants add value to the platform owner? Right? One of the very straightforward ways is they pay the platform owner. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, subscription fees, transaction fees, and so on. But the literature is focused on another way that these participants are adding value. Right? It's by drawing another participant onto the platform to participate in the platform. If the other participant is the same type of participant, then we'll be talking about direct network effects. Or it can be an indirect network effects where you're drawing a different kind of participants, for example, users, to also join and operate on the platform. And then let's zoom in on the, this draw itself. How is just this draw happening? Most of the idea comes down to this. Essentially, the existing, the current participants are demonstrating to the focal participant about the viability of the platform, that this is how to do it, this is how it can be done, and, and therefore the, the uncertainty reduces, and the focal participant will now uh, also participate in the platform. Right? So the basic idea is this, right? Platform owner, how is this participant one creating value besides direct payment is also drawing participant two onto the platform, right? But you see in, in this kind of simplistic picture, the assumption, the assumption is that this participant two is going to add value to the platform owner, either now or later on at some point, right? But okay, so if you look at a lot of these platforms in, in real life, actually the platform owner offers various tiers of products for the participants to use in order to participate, right? So these different tiers of products come to different features, different prices. To make it simple, think, think of the extreme example of freemium models where the low tier product is free for the participants to use. And recent uh, research has shown that actually participants using these low tier products may not be optimal at all to the, net, to the platform owner, may not eventually add value, net value. Just by growing the network of participants alone does not guarantee that the platform owner is going to gain net positive value, short run or even long run. Right? To make it worse, the current participants using low tier products, if we use previous mechanisms, they actually demonstrate to the, the focal participant that, hey, this is how it works, right? Low tier particip participation, low tier uh, products actually works. So it's gonna end up drawing the focal participant that to also use a low tier product. So this is going to worsen the problem. So the question here is how do we draw high uh, participants to use the high tier products, which is going to add value to the platform owner? All right. I guess this, this low tier participant one is going to draw low tier participant two, and this really comes into question whether this is adding value at all. all right. So how do we get to the point where this focal participant being drawn is actually going to engage in high tier products that, uh, that adds more value to the platform owner? So what do we know from the literature on this? Right, so uh, one of the classic ways that we can, the, the platform owner can get a uh, high paying participant is to, in a winner takes all market. Right? So the idea is let's grab all the participants first. And then once we monopolize the market, at some point, the platform owner can tip, right? can, can now charge, force all the participants to pay up to use high tier products. But that assumes a price setting abilities, which is not necessarily the case in real life. Right. Very often in digital platforms, there's always threat of some other emerging platforms. So we never quite get to the point where the platform owner can set price. 
right? Or there are many theories about how the participants themselves can switch from free low tier products to payout. Okay, but we are trying to propose another one. Right? First, first we recognize the existing participants are competitors, right? and this competition, as we know from uh, the, the literature on competitive strategy, competition can draw another competitors to engage, and the different shape will push the competitor being drawn, the focal participant, to use the high tier product. That's essentially what we're trying to get at here, right? Skip the example. So the basic proposition is that when the more we have these low tier current participants using low tier or free products, the more likely they would be drawing uh, a focal participant to engage with high tier products, especially when the current participants are very strong at engaging the market users, or especially when the focal participant being drawn has weak abilities to engage with the market. We're studying this within Instagram. I'm running out of time. Let me be very quick. Right, Instagram uh, context, we're looking at the brands as participants, brands advertising uh, along the way, LDA topic modeling, and we're going to use a natural experiment very quickly. Why? Right. So the nice thing about this context is that it allows us to separate uh, advertising through influencers, brands advertising without paying Instagram from advertisers, uh, brands advertising paying Instagram getting some benefits from it right and to do this test we actually need to figure out what is the area and the problem with uh, uh, this instagram post is that there isn't a good way to capture area hence we need to use LDA topic modeling to pull out exactly which are the areas in order to define that within one area these are indeed competing brands i will skip the details right and because the uh, uh, the DV and the independent variable are essentially about posts. So the selection here is pretty salient. Right? So we use a, the nice thing about this context is in the middle of our, our period, there was a change in the policy that ends up making, uh, giving the, some influences, some type of influences, a lot more information, making them more effective uh, tools uh, for advertising. And that ramps up the unofficial posts, right? the low tier uh, products. So that gives us a little nice tweak for us to test. Uh, I'm happy to go into details more uh, after this if, if anyone's interested. Right, so basically we tested various, uh, in various ways. We seem to find some consistent uh, results here that demonstrates essentially the point is this, right? That another, if the question is how do we, how does the platform owner appropriate returns given these distinct features in the ecosystem? One of the tools is to, for the platform owner to see uh, the participants as competitors. Because of this competitive pressure, some of the some of the participants is going to push to try to differentiate and to try to engage the platform owner using the paid products, the higher value products. That's one of the ways that uh, uh, the platform owner can appropriate returns within this ecosystem. Right. I'm going to stop there. That's kind of the basic idea. Thank you. Thank you very much, PK. Uh, Brian, I'll let you take it away. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you again for inviting me, uh, Elena and uh, Cameron, um, and all my panelists. It's a wonderful uh, 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 
to meet you all here um, and all the participants. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, so today I'm going to talk about the boundaries of digital firms and ecosystems. Uh, in fact, I'm not an ecosystem or platform scholar. So I study corporate strategy and uh, industry evolution. So today, I guess I try to uh, interact or complement, right? So it's an ecosystem, you know, like uh, scholarly ecosystem. I try to complement what my fellow uh, panelists just shared. The panel based on two uh, forthcoming papers, uh, both are mathematical models. So uh, the risk is that, uh, uh, I mean, that's also my tendency. I tend to oversimplify uh, things, but hopefully, you know, at that cost uh, or that expense, you know, we, we, we can say something uh, different. So the, uh, as I shared, right? So the connection uh, of my own work on, on the boundary of the firm, uh, with, with a pan, a ecosystem, I think is that, I mean, in my view or our view with my co-authors, you know, ecosystems and platforms are formed organization, right? So inherently based on the premise of specialization. So, so uh, it's an extreme, you know, in our argument, right? It's an extreme form of uh, specialization, which I'll explain later, right? Of course, this is enabled by, um, on the supply side, you know, digitization, right? So digital technologies, but on the demand side, well, at least before uh, five years ago, you know, globalization, right? So, um, so that's uh, our uh, basic uh, context. And then our uh, uh, kind of underlying uh, driver is this idea of scalability of a firm's resource bundle, right? Going all the way back to uh, Penrose, right? Resource bundle. But more specifically, especially nowadays, think about the bundle containing uh, both scale-free ones, right? AI algorithm, you know, ton of data, you know, all that, right? But on the other hand, we should also remember, right? So as, in fact, when I served as a strategic advisor at DD or, you know, Alibaba, et cetera, right? I noticed that fundamentally within the headquarters, still teams of engineers who really, you know, uh, uh, not only create the algorithm, handle the data, but actually uh, they become the constraint, the bottleneck. So it's not that different than traditional firms, right? Still a lot of politics going on, the allocation, opportunity costs, you know, when it's come to the ranking of priorities of projects, right? It's a combination. So in that sense, if you think about the aggregate effect of the resource bundle, right? So on one hand, there are the scaling effect, right? Scaling in the sense that in the scaling laws, right? In the nature, you know, so animals, you know, populations, you know, it's this kind of exponential functional form, right? The sigma there, whether it's greater than one or not, right? But on the other hand, there's this need to allocate the underlying resources that enable this value creation. Right, so in the end, going back to our uh, overly simple conceptualization of ecosystems, right? So very likely we um, see this possibility where you know you have this scalable resource bundle, right? You can concentrate it in the focal activity, right? Or as uh, PK mentioned, right? So increase scope by integrating into complementary ones, right? So in our argument, the idea is that when the need, especially the scalability is high, right? The opportunity cost of 
diversify your integrating into complementary activities actually become high because in the exponential functional form that I showed uh, you know, in the second bullet point, right, the scaling law. So that sigma actually determines that uh, it leads to specialization. And later I explain not just specialization, but a hyper-specialization because the high opportunity cost of not focusing on the focal value adding activity, even if resource bundle is perfectly fungible. So let, let me use just a two uh, picture to illustrate, right? So the idea is if you think about, uh, let's say uh, industrial firm as Chandler uh, conceptualized, right? So scale and scope. We think about the GM, DuPont, AT&T, all that, right? They tend to be both large and broad, right? Scale and scope, you know, come hand in hand with each other, right? So that's what we, when we read, you know, 1962 or 1990, all that. But nowadays, think about the examples, you know, Rahu, you know, some, uh, or PK in the game, right? You know, they, they tend to actually be also very large, but much larger. On the other hand, in general, it's also narrow, right? So if they have scale, but not as much scope. So that's the difference here, right? So we, the, the model, you know, based on the underlying driver can, can show this, right? So that's a, the main point. And also I want to connect with the Dr. Poe's <laughs> work, right? So uh, we wanted to have a debate before, but we never got a chance. I think the idea is, is uh, if in this kind of an ecosystem, right? So the horizontal axis is, uh, let, let's say for now, call it the uh, productivity of complementers. Of course, it's relative, right? So relative to the focal firm. So one thing that, that, that's interesting from the model is that um, when your complementer productivity decreases, right? So the weaker the complementer is, the more you give to them, right? In this kind of a hyper-scaling situation, right? Because you want to scale, right? But of course, only up to a certain point. When the complementer is too weak, right? Too unproductive, right? Let's say this uh, critical threshold, and then you vertically integrate because it's just not worthwhile, right? So you just you know do it yourself, right? So Amazon or whatever, right? So this kind of value capture versus value creation tension, right? So that's how we think about this. And then connecting also to Bill Gates, right? The Gates line, we call it, right? You are not a platform until the people who you are uh, who are building on you make more money than you do, right? So that's uh, you know, the uh, kind of the, uh, the nonlinear dynamics we try to demonstrate here. So, so to summarize this part, you know, uh, uh, you know seems like the, the implication is that because of the scaling effect, right? So the uh, it, it 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 can you know generate this kind of pattern in terms of the ecosystem, in terms of scale and the scope. Uh, especially with regard to the focal firm, right? Uh, uh, without using transaction costs, right? The second is that uh, you know we, we try to advance this this you know um, approach of using formal modeling, uh, you know, to uh, formalize uh, you know, how we can use uh, fundamental theories, resource-based view or TCE, etc., right? And there are especially the key parameters to think about the platform and the ecosystem. And um, the third is uh, you know, the opportunity cost that we try to emphasize, right? We thought about the opportunity cost in finance economic strategy, right? But I think there is a need to uh, think about more uh, systematically think about opportunity costs, right? So uh, 
last but not least, I, I just want to also talk about the, the boundary, the limit, the limits. Almost like before this point, I talk about the potential, right? So scaling, hyper-scaling, et cetera. But there is re really a, 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 a lot of limit nowadays, especially think about the regulation, right? So before uh, a few years ago, right? So a, a platform business, you know, here I'm only talking about the services, right? Offline services, let's say the retailing, food delivery nowadays, ride sharing, et cetera, right? The, lower right corner, you know, frequency very high, but pretty standardized, right? But over time, you know, the pl platforms try to expand in this kind of business model into you know, high frequency, but customized or vice versa. And especially the low frequency uh, customized uh, settings, right? Um, in part because on one hand, in the opportunity exhausted at the lower right corner. On the other hand, the or should I say the uh, value create creation potential also higher? Let's remodeling, right? So rent with your house, plan wedding, right? Uh, help you immigrate, you know, all that. Um, so what I we, we want to I mean, maybe I should start with the example uh, to talk about the challenge of doing business, you know, in the new territories or new areas. I'll give you an example of Alibaba, right? So I remember some years ago when I was a I was a committee member of the research committee. Uh, so, so they show to me that, oh, Professor Wu, look, I mean, it's, um, the economy on Alibaba's platform is almost like the number 10, let's say, economy in the world, right? It's pretty impressive. So, so I have two reactions. It, you know, one is that you know, they try to get big fast, right? So bigger, better for platform, right? But, but my second reaction was that, well, you know, if you are like a, such a large economy, where do you put the presidency, right? So, so you are going to overtake the government, right? So that's my uh, second reaction. So, so I kind of became uh, worried. But from business side, um, turns out that the executive decided that, look, let's uh, bring on only uh, 40 of them, right? Uh, probably even fewer. And then the idea is that over one year, more than half of the off, off, off platform model uh, offline businesses perished. Right? Those on the platform prospered, right? Because Alibaba able to direct all the consumers, right, to the 40 a select uh, subset, right? Uh, even assuming they are ex anti homogeneous, right? So now, if you think about this uh, case, uh, and also connect to uh, Olivier and Elena's work, right? So uh, externalities or excessive competition, right? If you think about it and think about the possibility of uh, uh, you know, low frequency and uh, uh, high customization, when there are a lot of complementarity information symmetry, excessive competition, et cetera, right? I think there is a limit, uh, a big limit to, to, the, to the growth, uh, not only growth to the firm, but growth to the ecosystem or, or platforms, right? I think the challenge when I talk to many entrepreneurs in China, right? So I think, unfortunately, many of them started their career from the lower right corner, right? It grew big fast, right? So, so ride sharing, food delivery, et cetera. Now, when they start business, right? So let's say they, when they quit their old work, right? So start uh, their new venture in, in, in the other categories, they tend to ignore the, the, the kind of gravity or the limitation of, of uh, such things. And then they tend to fail, right? So, but also 
we, uh, I won't talk about the, the last point too much. There is a literature limiting uh, platform choice, right? But here, our point is, is to limit the size. This is my last slide, right? I think especially nowadays, I think rather than letting the government regulate the you know, platform business, I think it's better for private business, right? So the platform owner to regulate in some sense um, you know, for the lack of better word, right? So the, the, this is a very different than the, the traditional way of thinking about the monopoly, right? So when I give the Alibaba example, it's not like Alibaba, let's say, limiting the platform, uh, sorry, the offline service provider to 40 in the sense that, you know, eliminating all the others from the entire society, right? They are free to get their own business, their own customer. No, no one is going to hurt them in any way, right? It's just that almost going back to uh, PK's model, right? So within ecosystem, within platform, right? So versus outside, everybody is free to compete. It's just the happen that we create this kind of a differentiation that the alleviate excessive competition. And then in the end, the uh, service provider is also incentivized to uh, exert more effort, provide a better service, and customers will be happy to pay more, right? pay a premium for those on the uh, platform, right? So, so in that sense, this kind of a restriction approach, again, is not a monopoly, rather right? actually helps improve consumer welfare, generate profit and promote long-term economic development. So that's uh, what I had, yeah. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, now we're gonna turn it over to Marvin to get his uh, responses. And thoughts. Find my slides here. And oops, oops, I, my slides just disappeared for me. Hmm. Do people see my slides and can they hear me? We can hear you, but I don't see your slides yet, Marvin. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Let me try again. Um, You see them now? Yes, looks great. Okay, okay, great. All right, well, 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 thanks for the opportunity to be here. Thanks to the organizers, Cam and Elena, for putting all this together. Um, I was asked to be a discussant, but not a discussant in the normal sense. Uh, I was asked to discuss ecosystem work from the perspective of the broader strategy field. Now, um, I'm not uh, primarily a researcher in the ecosystem area, but um, it's hard to get away from it these days. It is really, I think, the, the, the new big thing in strategy, the new frontier, really important. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to give my perspective. I'll be relatively high level here. I, I'm not going to talk about any of the papers in detail. Uh, the issues that were outlined um, by the organizers, I'll just go through them. How do ecosystems differ from other forms of organizations such as value chains, markets, or alliances? How are the intertwined value creation and value capture processes affecting the way that firms achieve competitive advantage in ecosystems? And finally, does the ecosystem's lens affect the way that we think about firms' boundaries? Uh, so, so let me launch into this. I, I've stolen some slides here from Rahul and, and Ron Adner. Um, and obviously, you know, things are really taking off in terms of interest in ecosystems. Uh, 
Um, now, I think the panel here demonstrates, you know, the vibrancy of current research uh, in the field on ecosystems. It's really remarkable to see how all this is taking off. Uh, but as best I can tell, our teaching still lags behind. Um, I've just been teaching about ecosystems in an elective at UCLA, and I was surprised that the students told me that they learn about platforms uh, in their core course, but very little is taught about ecosystems per se. In fact, at UCLA, uh, they told me virtually nothing. Um, so I think there's an opportunity here uh, for the panelists and others to develop teaching materials that could be used in the strategy core. Now, just to, to go back to definitions, here's you know, Ron Adner's definition. An ecosystem is the set of partners that need to be aligned in order to uh, develop uh, the focal value proposition. Uh, Rahul has got a, a similar but complementary uh, view. Ecosystems are the simultaneous presence of complementarities and interdependencies between actors. I think most people are well aware of this. We've talked a lot here about complementarities. Um, independencies are essentially the fact that, that the ecosystem has an architecture. Um, and I do think that in teaching, uh, we might give students some examples uh, and ask them to actually sketch out uh, the architecture and describe the complementarities. That's all pretty basic, uh, as well as to describe uh, potentially the network effects and the bottlenecks that arise um, in, in certain cases. So what's the difference between a value chain and an ecosystem? And I think most everybody knows this. You know, the value chain has got these dyadic buyer-supplier relationships. It's all linear. In an ecosystem, we've got these complementary relationships in a multilateral structure. And we've got two, basically two types of ecosystems. Uh, one is the, the platform, uh, which gets a lot of attention. Um, and the other is the, the product or innovation ecosystem. Uh, and both of them have architectures and both of them have complementarities, uh, but the emphasis is a bit different. Um, the way I view it is in a platform, really lots of things matter, but especially the network effects. Um, in this product or innovation ecosystem, what really matters are the bottlenecks. And in both cases, um, I mean, it's often said that actors in an ecosystem cooperate to create value and compete to capture value. Uh, so in this sort of context, you know, what might competitive advantage mean? Now, those of you who know my work uh, know that for years I've been arguing that we should banish the term competitive advantage from the strategy field. Now, I failed in that effort, um, but I've written recently last year uh, an article in Strategic Management Review um, where I make the point that no one has ever defined competitive advantage, including Mike Porter uh, 40 years ago. So the problem here is that we've, we've essentially got multiple definitions of competitive advantage. And it's very hard to get away from using the term competitive advantage, you know, in teaching or in business, if we want to compare competitors, you know, the term competitive advantage naturally comes to mind. So we're not going to wipe it out as um, a rhetorical term, but I do think that competitive advantage should be eliminated as a purported concept uh, that can be used uh, in research, because there are you know, multiple definitions of competitive advantage. And unless you say exactly what you mean, 
uh, it's it's uh, meaningless in my view. So so my view is essentially that we should focus on value creation and capture rather than competitive advantage. And if this applies generally in strategy, I think it applies even more strongly in the ecosystem context where, I mean, it's hard for me to even formulate what competitive advantage means. Does, does, does you know, the, the uh, you know, iPhone ecosystem have an, an advantage over Android? Um, presumably both of them have a, an advantage over Huawei's, you know, ecosystem now that Huawei has been kicked out. Uh, if what we're really talking about is, you know, do actors within the ecosystem have a competitive advantage over each other? That's really the question of value capture. Uh, and so we should think about this in terms of value creation and value capture rather than uh, even using the term uh, competitive advantage. So, so again, I would argue that we should, we should knock competitive advantage out of the research literature in strategy. Um, now, here's a, an article by Adner, Oxley, and Silverman who talk about ecosystem strategy as involving three things. Uh, you know, who needs to be included? Who's participating in the ecosystem? What is the structure? Basically, what's that architecture and governance? You know, who sets the rules? Um, you know, recently we've seen some interesting controversies about Apple and its App Store where, where Apple is, is managing, a, well, I, I mean, one could say even a, a market given the discussion we've just heard. Um, and we've got, you know, strong players who are trying to challenge Apple and, and government regulators. Um, now, I personally uh, you know, became particularly interested in this as I was trying to understand what's happening in the auto industry. Um, you know, we have a traditional hierarchical structure there. Uh, we're moving not only to electric vehicles, but autonomous vehicles. And as we do that, you can't even begin to conceive of what could happen in this industry without an ecosystem perspective. So um, here's an article I wrote with, with Ron Adner, uh, where in one part of the article, we basically look at this ecosystem and see how it might shift around in various ways, uh, depending on, on who, who's, how value is being created uh, and how value is, is really being captured. Um, now let, let me just close by coming back to uh, some of the basic questions that I was asked to consider. Um, you know, one is, is what is, is integration in, a, in an ecosystem context? Well, you know, in a, in a value chain, uh, you know, we knew what it, what it was. It was, it was vertical. It was either backward or forward integration. Um, in a multilateral ecosystem, what, what is it? I mean, it's certainly not, uh, I mean, you, you could define some of these relationships here as, as, as oops, as, as backward or forward. Um, or, but, but in general, um, what we have here is essentially um, integration. And um, I mean, I was in, intrigued with uh, some of the discussion, you know, PK and, and Brian uh, brought some of these up. Um, interestingly, be, the tension between, um, you know, scope and scale and, and those all involve integration issues of various types. Um, PK, I thought had an interesting twist, you know, bring in the issue here of markets. You know, we, we, with vertical integration, we usually think about using the market uh, versus um, integrating. And I, I think what PK was saying in part is that um, the, the ecosystem uh, manager, if there is one, um, basically may have the opportunity to choose between integrating directly or, or using a market which it itself can manage. 
I mean, you can think about um, the app store essentially as a, as a market that uh, is being used by Apple to appropriate more value and also to create more value by, by creating more complementarities. Um, and again, you know, we've got this tension with the, the European regulators in particular and Epic Games and others trying to challenge uh, Apple's you know, system of trying to manage that market as an alternative to direct integration. Um, what about, I mean, alliances? I mean, we usually think about alliances as being, you know, two firms that are working together, although we could have, of course, you know, larger alliances. Um, you know, ecosystems themselves are, I would say, arguably alliances. Uh, so what, what do alliances really mean in this, in this context? Um, we also, we, we also had some interesting points, I thought that Olivier brought up about uh, complementarities versus externalities. Um, now, I'm not sure I understand exactly uh, what Olivier was driving at, but um, I think that positive externalities or, or, or complementarities are you know, positive externalities. And the question is whether they're externalities for other firms that are within the ecosystem or other firms that are outside. Um, and so I, I think that was the distinction that, that Olivier was making, using externalities to refer specifically to outside the ecosystem. But it raises a lot of questions about how do we connect uh, work on um, ecosystems with broader work in economics on, on externalities. Um, now, um, let me just close with uh, some comments on digitalization. Um, digitalization is really the big driver in all of this. You know, business ecosystems and platforms have existed for a long time. Uh, technology historians, uh, Nate Rosenberg, David Teese even, have really described, you know, complementarities and essentially ecosystems uh, going way back. Uh, I was intrigued, Evans and Schmalzi have a book about ecosystems where they describe the shopping mall as a platform. And basically, on one side, you've got the stores, on the other side, you've got the customers and the, and the shopping mall is the platform that is in the, the middle. Uh, but when you add digitalization to this, everything gets on steroids. So Amazon is the shopping mall plus digitalization. Uh, it really transforms the cost structure of things. It makes, you know, complementarity is much more prevalent. Um, I mean, Brian, uh, in the last presentation, uh, pointed to some very interesting work on how really it's digitalization that is, is driving this and, and raising, I think, interesting questions about scale versus scope uh, as, as promoted by digitalization. So let me just stop there. Uh, note that we've really got many exciting opportunities here for continued research and teaching and strategy. Thank you very much, Marvin. So at this point, we're going to just kind of open it up for Q&A. I thought a, a good place we might start was with a question that you brought around that uh, Kathy had put into the chat where, is there really a difference between ecosystems and say marketplaces and platforms? And obviously there's, we think about maybe a, a Amazon marketplace as being kind of an ecosystem. You could have something like uh, the iOS app store is a transactional ecosystem as long uh, transactional platform ecosystem, also innovation side to it. So let me just kind of throw this out to the different uh, panelists and 
Steve, what do you what are your thoughts on this? Do you kind of see this as a different typologies of ecosystems, and when does it start to make a real difference in terms of uh, uh, thinking about broad ecosystems versus more of a platform that surround transactions? Well, I can I can yeah, jump go in. Ahead, go ahead. Uh, uh, the silence was getting painful. <laughs> uh, I thought you know Marvin did such a stellar job, uh, you know, giving that that context. Um, I, I'm not sure how much more we can add. I think the question probably came in right before uh, Marvin, but I think uh, my sense is right that, and you know, this is something I tell you know my doctoral students. I think I think there is clearly more clarity in terms of how ecosystems are distinct from you know value chains alliances, um, but I think where I I would encourage you know many of you who are thinking along these issues is to I think it's a, it's it's a good time for us as a community to sort of move beyond how is it different to what kind of questions it can help us answer. And thinking through the types of mechanisms, and I think the chat window is buzzing with lots of those ideas. And so, so to what extent we can embrace these ideas around complementarities, interdependencies, multilateral considerations, uh, thinking through the architectural properties, and shedding light on, you know, firm level strategic outcomes around value creation, value capture. To me, I think that is probably the, the next stage of, of, of conversation. And I think um, that's where I see a lot of the value that we as scholars could, could generate. So um, if like any, I mean, if any other panelists would like to jump in, like just please feel free. Uh, so um, otherwise, I think we have actually a question from Ainwi, uh, so we could uh, probably get that one. Yes, thank you. Um, I, I was thinking about um, the different examples that were used to represent uh, either platforms or ownership of uh, the transactions that were happening. And uh, it caused me to wonder how we think about the role of time or the stage of development that a given platform or uh, company uh, is in when we are starting to sort of draw these comparisons. And, um, and almost, um, how we should start to think about like our underlying assumptions uh, uh, governing, you know, what is a platform? So now from the perspective of 2022, we can look and say, here's what Google is, here's what Apple is, et cetera. Um, but perhaps uh, 20 years ago, that wouldn't be the same kind of conversation we would have. And so I wonder how we think about um, the evolution and development um, uh, over time of these uh, various um, actors and, and what that might mean for how we're theorizing um, 
broadly. I can take a stab at that, right? So this, this, this is a great question, a very broad one too. So you, you brought up like, well, how do we tell, looking at Google today, you know, what was in their minds 20 years ago? That's a, that's a tough and a different question, but if we just kind of focus it down a little bit to think about, okay, how does time come into the picture, right? I, I think it relates. So how does time and evolution of the ecosystem come into the picture? I think this we can tie this back to some of the things uh, that were brought up earlier between value capture and value uh, value creation and value capture. So there is a tension there. You know, the, the way I see this, there's a tension very often in value creation and value capture. So in the ecosystem context, to create value, you have to keep coordinate with everyone. And like I said earlier, a lot of the value is, is created elsewhere and it's difficult to capture that. So perhaps one way to resolve that tension between value creation and value capture is to bring in the time dimension, right? So what is more important at each stage? So Cameron and I has to have a working paper right now that looks at how in the early stage of the ecosystem evolution, the, the emphasis is on value uh, creation. So it's only uh, true later that the value capture part will come in. So perhaps that's one way to think about, about this issue. Uh, maybe to kind of, <clears throat> Take back on that and ask the other panelists this question. Do you see one of the biggest risks for, say, a platform firm managing an ecosystem, trying to get this, uh, fostering the indirect network effects, getting things going, and then switching from this push to create value to starting to capture more? It seems like there's always going to be this transition where the, pl the platform firm or maybe ecosystem orchestrator is going to need the switch strategy and focus more on appropriation but doing so, when to do so, and how to make that leap seems to be a, a, a particularly difficult challenge. Uh, so I just wanted to see if any of the other panelists have some comments on that or have work that they're also looking at that's related to that switch and time question. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's the fundamental problem with a platform of getting it to take off in the first place. And so, I mean, there are various strategies that are used, you know, often, you know, subsidizing, you know, one side or the other, giving things away for free. Um, you know, it, it's only, you know, if the platform takes off, then, you know, then things change. So I think there's, there really are, in some sense, for platforms, those two stages. Um, other people here have worked on this a lot more than, than I have. But um, I mean, I, I was intrigued by, you know, PK's discussion about, you know, integration versus markets, essentially. Um, and the fact that, we you know, the standard ways of having, you know, supplier contracts don't apply here. And so, you know, obviously you could, you could jumpstart things by integrating and providing some you know, minimal solution, but later on, you know, others might come in and innovate and, and improve beyond that. And maybe you'd use a market to do that. I, you know, I, I, I'm, as I mentioned, fascinated by Apple's use of the app store. You know, it's, it, it, they use it to both create, you know, the competition creates value here um, through, through, you know, competition to see who has the best innovation. And because Apple controls it and the competition is so intense, they, 
they capture a huge amount of the value that's created there. So it's, I mean, that's a, a particular context. And, you know, remember Steve Jobs didn't even want to do this in the first place. And I'll, I'll, I'll just, uh, I had two thoughts, I think, just building on what PK and Marvin were saying. And I, I do, you know, the more I think about this, Marvin's characterization that, you know, moving away from competitive advantage to value creation capture as a scaffolding uh, constructs for ecosystem research to me resonates, you know, even more today than it did this, before this session. Um, and I think that gets to the issues of timing and general evolutionary properties, right? So whether you think about platform being launched and generating network effects, whether you think about the monetization side of this versus subsidy side of it, but also when you think about value capture in this multilateral setup where, you know, this competition within ecosystems, this competition across ecosystems, and I don't really think we have, you know, generated enough um, research to be able to unpack many of those mechanisms where the timing value creation, value capture are so heavily intertwined. So I do think, you know, it's again where uh, research and, and, and effort needs to be put in. The other thought I had, and this goes back to, you know, what PK was alluding to this notion of integration versus market, and then connecting with what Marvin and Brian were talking about the world of digitalization, note that, you know, there's sort of two evolutionary properties of ecosystems, right? One is this, uh, you know, the force of specialization, which of course we've studied for a while and this transaction costs are going down and what have you. Um, and the semiconductor industry and um, the computer industry, right, went through those uh, shifts from integration to specialization, which essentially created an ecosystem. But today, thanks to digitization and having these APIs, ecosystems are not just generated through a force of specialization, but through a force of aggregation. The fact that Uber could bring drivers and riders together wasn't a story of integration to specialization, was to actually a story of aggregation. And I think you can think about these evolutionary processes, both from a lens of specialization, but also from a lens of aggregation around these ideas of complementarities and interdependencies. So I think, again, a, a very interesting phenomenon, uh, which ecosystem uh, context presents as a basis of study. No, thank you very much. I think we're at our point where we're going to take a uh, five-minute break before we break out into the breakout rooms. So we're going to let everybody take a quick five minutes, and at 12.30, we're going to come out and split out into, uh, I think, at least five breakout rooms. And again, thank you. Thank you very much to everybody who attended and to all the panelists. Okay. Virtual round of applause. <laughs> <laughs>